So the last few weeks, what we have been talking about is we've talked about the passion for prayer, our need for prayer, our need for God, our need to depend on Him. And then last week, we talked about the priority of His presence. And the way that I've been tackling this series is not to kind of set up steps or principles about prayer, nor was it my intention to create a way in which you go home and say, I'm going to get my prayer list together and do a better job. I think really what I'm trying to do is get to the core element of what prayer really is and sometimes what can be difficult about prayer. So even today as we're walking into a time where I'm not going into, I'm going to be talking about prayer, but really more focused on the element of what happens during prayer. Because sometimes prayer is not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to go through it. It's challenging. We as a leadership here at our church, our leadership team, we're praying. We're praying and we're seeking God. Uh, The leaders, I'm real proud of them because they're beginning to reflect and looking at their own lives. We're all individually as leaders asking God to change us. We're going through a book, but we're also going through an introspective time to say, God, you need to break us before we ask you to break anyone else. And so it's important for us that as we do that, We're asking as a church that we can continue to focus on that. But sometimes prayer is not easy. Sometimes we have to wrestle with prayer. You see what I say, wrestle? Because you've got to wrestle with prayer. You've got to wrestle with God. And some people think that, well, wait a minute. Is it okay to wrestle with God? Is God going to be intimidated that I'm actually going to wrestle him? I don't think so. (laughs) We already know who's going to win the bout. But yet God is using that to get us to focus on the aspect that's going on in our lives. It's important for us to grasp that. And so as we do that, we have to ask those questions because with wrestling, it's important to understand. I don't know if you guys remember, I don't. Dan Gable, he was one of the most um, profound wrestlers, the strongest one around in the early 70s. Um, He was an Olympic wrestler. He was known for being um, a man who was, in his collegiate career, was incredible. Only lost one match. He was like, he, he continued to move through his collegiate career with an amazing aspect of just working through and focusing on what he had. But he had a record that was beyond it. And what happened was uh, he became part of the team in 1972 for the Olympic team in Germany and he didn't give up one single point in all of his matches he even got a gold that year but he was highly recognized not only for his collegiate career and his and his and his ability to wrestle even as a coach for the University of Iowa he won 15 NCAA team titles between 1976 in 1997. In fact, he was so well known that they had a, they gave up a day for him. They recognized a Dan Gable day in Iowa on October 25th, 2013. It happened to be his birthday. And so they, they did this, but what was so interesting about his gold medal win was that he had an injured knee and seven stitches in his head, and he still won the match. The resilience of this man, determination, persistence to be the strongest he can be is 
unprecedented at his time. But he had a few quotes, just about 57 of them, but I love one of them. He says this, gold medals aren't really made of gold. They are of sweat, determination, and a hard-to-find alloy called guts. I love it because he was so determined to believe that there's no loser in him. It's only a winner. Winning is, when you want to be successful, it's giving your very all with great determination. And you do it even if you think you're going to fail. Because the expectation is whether you fail or not. We set expectations, but the success may be just going through the process. And sometimes we set an expectation with God, even in prayer. We expect him to respond the way we want him to, answer the prayers the way we want him to. When, we, when he doesn't, because we want it our way, we then think God has failed. And we don't admit that, but in our hearts we begin to say that. And then we avoid prayer because we say God didn't come through. And so it's important for us to grasp that, that element within us because, see, God wants to bless us. That's his greatest joy for us. That's the greatest joy that you and I can have as Christians is for God's blessing. But have you ever thought that sometimes maybe God's blessing has to come through wrestling? You know, so often we pray and we, wake, we pray one prayer and we pray two prayers and then we pray three prayers and then we say, God, you haven't answered. I guess I'm going to give up you. Not interested in that one. Okay, let me throw it out, and then you go, let me go to the next one. And you start praying one prayer and two prayer and three prayers, and it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden you say, giving up on prayer, it's not working for me. But yet is God saying, no, I want you to wrestle through this. I want you to understand that I have a purpose for this. Because sometimes we have to understand that it's in the wrestling that God wants us to learn something. Have you ever considered that God's blessing does not always have to do with material things or having to avoid a problem or struggles? What does it mean to wrestle with God? What does it mean that God desires to bless his people? But if, we, if, what, if there was an unknown obstacle or barricade or sin that stopped us from receiving God's blessing, would you then want to wrestle with God for this blessing? I ask these questions because too often we don't even know if there's sin in our lives. Too often we don't know if there's a barricade, an obstacle that's stopping us from receiving God's blessing. We pray, we pray, and we pray, but we don't seem to be receiving it. Because sometimes we want it on our terms. And God's saying that's not how prayer works. And so it's important for us to understand because we, we have to ask those questions. So if you're looking at your outline, one of the things you want to highlight too or what we want to make sure that we understand is that we have to we have to ask that question if God desires to bless us then how do we get it see God has blessed us through Christ his death in exchange for our life that's the blessing but sometimes sin just stops it and sometimes God's saying it's going to cost even everything of us in order to find that blessing. In the Old Testament, we find a story of a familiar person who happens to be a part of the patriarchs, the three. We know Abraham, we know Isaac, and we know Jacob. But we know Jacob in, in the time in Genesis 27, and he, he has come across where Isaac wants to bless Jacob. But Jacob 
realizes the youngest of the two that he couldn't receive the blessing of, of Isaac because he wasn't the first of the birthright. So we see that Isaac was in his later days and he could not even see. And his mother, Jacob's mom, Rebecca, tries to set it up to where, you know, maybe Jacob could get the blessing. So he goes, son, come over here. Let me hook you up. And what he does is, we, as we know in the stories, that he puts skins on him, goat skins, and puts it around his neck because he's trying to set up. And he, mother says, hey, go put on Esau's clothes so when your dad smells him, he's going to smell Esau. But he can't see you, so don't worry about it. Just go in there. And Jacob goes in, and he deceives his father, and he deceives his brother. And we know the story that even at the end, Jacob, Jacob's father was still questioning him. Wait a minute, you smell like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And he's like, oh, forget about it, I'm getting too old, I can't figure this one out. I'm just going to bless you. So he blessed him. But see, Jacob received a blessing through deception. Now, if we received the blessing of God through deception, would you want God, or would I want God, to keep us there? Do we want God's blessing through deception? I don't think so. So God cared enough and loved him enough to realize that he had to reach him. But Jacob was on his way. Because what we know later is that what happened, what was the outcome? Well, in Genesis 27, 41, we know Esau didn't like what happened. In fact, it says, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father at hand then I will kill my brother Jacob. Interesting. Because, so Jacob received God's blessing through deception, and so now he moves on his way, and he begins to skedaddle, or what I would call escape. But we have to ask these questions. Should we strive for God's blessing? Should we just sit back and hope that God's blessing will come? Or do we need to strive well, it's funny because Hosea wrote about this too. In Hosea chapter 12, he wrote about Jacob in a few verses. Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, if you'll look with me to it, it says this. It says, in, in the womb he attacked his brother. In his manly vigor he struggled with God. He struggled with an angel and prevailed. He wept and begged for his favor. By the way, that angel is a... Is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate Christ, the presence of God. And he went and he begged for his favor and he found God at Bethel and there he spoke with him. That's in Genesis 28 when he spoke him at Bethel. And as for God Almighty, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord is the name by which he is remembered. See, the word struggle there is wrestle. It means to strive, to contend in the Hebrew. It gives the idea that it's to preserve, I mean to persist and persevere to, to contend, to strive, to fight against. See, what he was saying was that, Hosea was saying, the author was saying that, that Jacob wrestled with God, he struggled with God, he fought with God, and we know in the story what comes in at the end. But he wrestled with God, and so often we ask ourselves the question, does God want us to strive and contend and wrestle with him? Sounds as though we would think that if we had to put that gear on, you know, the headgear and the shoes and the outfit that if any one of us would live, you'd see me in it, you'd cry and scream horror. But it's like if you would put on some kind of wrestling gear and you're like there. 
and you're ready to wrestle God and you're like, put him in a chicken wing, it's not going to work. But that's not what I'm talking about. Wrestling sometimes is different because sometimes when we're wrestling, God's just got his hand on us while we're trying to wrestle him. And he's got his hand, he's saying, I've got you. You can keep wrestling, I've got you. But we have to strive, we have to cry out to God because in prayer, that's what it's about. But he see, what happened with Jacob was that he escaped Rebekah and Isaac, he escaped and Rebekah said, go to my brother Laban. And then he went to Laban and then what happened with his life? He married two women, wanted the first one, couldn't get it. So he ended up getting swindled, he got deceived because then he got Leah, and then, he said, and then Laban said, well, you know what? You got one more week, you can have Rachel. Then all of a sudden, we have polygamy. And so what happens is you set in, the, the, it's, a, it's a crazy, dysfunctional world. Let me remind you, how did he receive his blessing? Through deception. What are the results and consequences? Chaos, dysfunction. So now his life is dysfunctional. And all of a sudden now, he even makes a vow with God. And he says, he's, he's making this vow to saying, God, if you take care of me and meet my need, and I'm paraphrasing, then I will serve you. Interesting, his grandfather was the opposite. Abraham simply obeyed God. God said, go, and he went, and then he obeyed, and he was blessed. Seems with Jacob, it's the opposite. Jacob always had a stipulation, and he deceived others because he got a blessing through deception. And so often he had to stress. So God loved him enough to continue to work with him through this. But see, too often what happens is we don't fully understand because as we set up the, the storyline, it's important for us to grasp and understand that, the, that although this was contrary to God's will and law for him to go through this dysfunction, God was still willing to show his amazing grace. So even as this dysfunction continued, Laban and, and Jacob began to fight and argue over whose family is who. Jacob wanted his wives and his children because he had many. We know he had 12. And he went through with all the different and even further with the children. And he was fighting over who should get the children. Finally, at the end, there was peace in chapter 31. But as we get to chapter 32, we realize now Jacob has another bout to cover. And as we go to Genesis chapter 32, we have to understand the story because now he has to confront another problem, another dysfunction in his life. And which one is that? The one we just mentioned, Esau. The last he heard of Esau was that he wanted, Esau wanted to kill him. So now he had to be confronted with the story of being able to do this. So when we ask these questions, we have to ask it with an understanding that God is working in his life and he wants to give him a blessing. But what Jacob is doing is Jacob is trying to get out of this situation with Esau. He knows he has to confront him. And so at chapter 32, just read with me here, verse 1, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. Now understand there. The scholars who I've read and studied with, they believe that that encounter has something similar to chapter 28. Now, just put your finger there because in chapter 28, this is important. Because when God met with Jacob at Bethel, he met him understanding that he gave him the Abrahamic covenant. And it's important to grasp hold of this because he was telling him of what he was supposed to become like. 
And in verse 13, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and his dream. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your offspring. That's Abrahamic covenant. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to his land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Incredible, merciful grace. This grace is an unconditional covenant. See, when God does a work in us, it's unconditional. When he's doing a work in us, he doesn't look in how well or not we've been performing. He's basing it upon his mercy and his great and his covenant. It's his covenant has been from the Old Testament to the New Testament is through Jesus Christ. So whenever you and I falter and we're deceiving others and we're discouraging others and when we fall, God is still placing his hand on you saying, I love you. I mean, this is such an amazing extension of his grace to say that I will still work with Jacob even though he deceived his brother and his father to receive my blessing. God didn't put any grudges, didn't hold anything against him, didn't say, I'm not going to deal with you anymore, Jacob. I'm going to love you through it because of my covenant. See, God doesn't see that. He sees, so in us today in Christ, he sees Jesus when we mess up. He doesn't hold it against us. But here's the thing we have to keep in mind. God does allow for consequences. See, Jacob was still blessed by God to have grace, but his consequences were greater. They were greater. His consequences were dysfunctional. And so many of us, what happens is we get into dysfunctional way of living because we don't seem to fall in line with the blessing of God. And that's what we have to ask ourselves that question. So when we ask ourselves the question on what is the blessing of God, Jacob was hit with that. And so when we're looking through chapter 32, we're going back on to verse 2. It says, and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place, Mahanani. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, to his brother in the land of Seir and the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, uh, male servants, um, and I have female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. So he's sending a messenger to say, Esau, don't hate me. I love you. I'm your brother. Receive me. I want to appease you. Here are some of the gifts that I can give you. Please receive me in your sight. Verse 6 goes, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you there at 400 men with him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were a brother and the last thing I heard from my brother was that he wanted to kill me and he sent in 400 men, I'd be shaking in my boots. I'd be shaking in my boots because I would be wondering what in the world is going on. He was full of fear and worried and concerned because he thought his life was at his hand. He had flocks and flocks of his herd and his livestock. He had his family and he didn't know what to do. So what did he do? He separated them into two camps. He figured if Esau's coming after me, I'm going to protect my family. And so he does that. He goes forward and he separates the, the camps. He sends his family one end and another side of the family this way. And then all of a sudden he's meeting him because he's asking that question, how in the world am I going to get through this? Then he gets to verse nine. 
And he says, and Jacob says, oh, God, my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. All of a sudden, he became a praying man. Because he says, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good? Meaning, Lord, you told me you were going to do good. What are you doing here, Lord? Esau's going to come and kill me. He's got 400 men. What are you doing? And then all of a sudden he goes, I am not worthy of the least of all deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I've crossed this Jordan, and now I've become to two camps. Please deliver me or another it says please rescue me from the hand of my brother all of a sudden he said this long profound theological prayer rescue me i pray (laughs) that's all he said and then he says from now it's funny because god's blessing if you're looking at your outline is found in the changed life not in the changed situation he wants to be changed he wants the situation to change but he's not concerned about him being changed yet he wants god to deliver him from his brother who's about to kill him and kill his family so instead of saying god change me he says god change the situation How often do we miss the blessing of God when we think the problem is outside of us? How often we miss the blessing of God when we think the church is the problem? How often we miss the blessing of God because we believe that someone else is the problem? And we go on and on and on and we project the blame, but yet we don't ask God to change us. And too often as we even say, God, change the situation. If we just remove this person and that person and that person and that person, everything's going to be fine. But... You forgot to say that there are going to be three other people covering up. So whenever you remove three people, three more people, the same people are coming right back behind them. Because we're all people and we all fail. And see, change doesn't come in the situation. God wants to change the person. But the blessing won't come in changing the situation. We'd like for that to happen. That would be a nice way. Just get rid of the person, get rid of the people, and everything will change. But it's not the case. If that were the case, then we would know that God wouldn't have to wrestle with Jacob. And so we see that it's so often that we ask. So we have to ask ourselves these, 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 these thoughts because it helps us to think. So here on your worship folders, on your outline, it says God wants to rescue us through the situation, not from it. And that's what he was lining on his prayer. Two, God wants to restore us from being by being with us. And I mentioned that in chapter 28, he is with us. Three, God wants to resolve our problems in our lives. He wants to resolve our problems. Why? Because, see, he's trying to resolve this problem. Look with me at verse 19 of chapter 32, verse 19. Because here Jacob is saying this. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Please, or perhaps he will accept me. Right there he was trying to figure out his own problem. He thought if he could give gifts, go up ahead... And make sure that he would receive all the flocks and all the 500 that were there. That Esau would say, okay, I could use these flocks. I can use these animals. And you know what? Save me some money. Ah, 
So what, he took my blessing. I'm hooked up now. You know what? All good. Jacob, we're good. Brothers, we're good. I don't hate you anymore, and I'm not going to kill you. Everything's fine. The, th the idea that he thought he could fix his own problem is laughable. Here's why. The problem isn't the situation. The problem lies in us. God wants to resolve our problems because he has a perfect plan and his will and his promises. When he resolves our problems, we line up with his plan. When he resolves our problems, he changes us. When he resolves our problems, then we begin to see the true blessing, which is God. And see, that's why God is interested in doing that. See, the first step is admitting we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem. Go like this. If you can bend over, try to look at yourself. Because that's where the problem lies. I'm looking at myself. Before I say one of you are the problem, I have to look at myself. Because it lies right here, as far as I go. And once God changes me, then everything is hunky-dory. Because you know why? Because God wants to change me to bless me. See, the blessing won't come until he changes me, and the blessing won't come until I wrestle with him, and the blessing won't come until I admit the problem is me. Otherwise, we'll continue to think the problem is somewhere else. God is interested. Also, God's blessing is found in the chastening, not in complacency. Important for us to understand. And look, as we look at chapter 32, verse 24, we see now he has split everybody. It says, verse 22, the same night he rose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jacob. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. He finally said, Phew, finally got rid of the wife and the kids. Phew, got them across the river. Now I can get some alone time. No more nonsense. I'm just going to be alone. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die alone and I'm going to be happy. You think that happened? No. Why? Because God wouldn't let it happen that way. You think that would happen? No. God's got to interrupt our evening. So what does he do? He interrupts his evening by sending a man to fight with him, it says. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So here, he thought he'd have some alone time, time to pray, but God said, I'm going to break up your prayer differently now. And at this time, he's like, oh, sure, great. I got to go wrestle this man all night. So he's sitting there, and he's wrestling. And what happens? He finds out that it's God. How do we know that? Real simple. Verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Boom. You would never ask anyone to bless you unless it's divine. God was present with him. But see, here's the question. Was God interested in wrestling him? Was God interested in digging deep down in the core of his being to reveal something to him? What was going on? He got his blessing through deception. Jacob thought he could get away with it. 
God said, I love you too much to get away with it. I love you. I love you too much to let you get away with it. God loves us so much that when we think we're right and we're wrong, he gets a hold of us and says, I love you, son. I want to bless you. I got to deal with this right now. I can assure you, I've had my wrestling matches with God. That's why my parents called me Bruno, because I'm Bruno San Martino. I've had my wrestling matches with God. When I was growing up, everybody said, Bruno San Martino. I said, yeah, that's me. But I've had my wrestling matches with God. And you know what? I'm more like Christ because of those wrestling matches. And he continues to challenge me to be learned. But I want to tell you something. God begins the battle because the battle begins in us. We got to get a hold of that. God hit Jacob's hip socket because he was counting on himself. He was counting on his deceiving ways to manipulate people. God said, I can't have you do that. You're going to honor me. If you're going to be the one of the three patriarchs, I can't have you be this way. I love you too much. You're, you're bearing my name. Listen, people, if we bear the name of Jesus Christ, please do not think that God doesn't love you when he gets a knock on the door. When you get a knock on the door and says, hey, I want to come in and dine with you, Revelation 3.20. I want to dine with you, but you got to let me in. you got to let me in because I want to bless you, but I can't bless you if you think you have it all together. If you're representing my name, i got to bless you. And so God's going to begin that battle, and it's going to begin with prayer. You know, the same guy Dan Garber said, in wrestling, you have many opponents, but the toughest opponent you will face is yourself. That's the greatest wrestling match you'll have. When God begins to do a work in you, it's because it has to begin in us. The fears, the worries, the insecurities, the reputation, the selfishness, the pride, the arrogance, the, the actual thing that God really needs you and I when he doesn't. But he loves us and he wants to bless us and he wants to encourage us, but he's got to start to begin that work in us. You know, it's funny because God bouts with us not to belittle us, but to break us. Think about with Genesis chapter 22. Let's just go back to great-grandfather Abraham from Jacob. Chapter 22, we know the story, but I'm going to read one verse. And it says this, after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and I will offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. I want to tell you something. Lord, don't please don't ever ask me to bring my son to the altar because I can't be obedient on that one. But I'll tell you the passion, the obedience when he tested Abraham. And he said, oh, by the way, you're going to put your son on that altar. And he tested him. And Abraham, what did he do? He said, yes, Lord. And when 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 Isaac said, Father, I don't see the animal that's here for the offering. Boy, Abraham, in the words that God gave him, he said, Son, do not worry. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide the lamb. 
I got to tell you, I'd have a hard, I'd have a hard time with that one. God would have to take over me completely for me to say yes. And he can, but it's amazing. But he tested him and he bowed with him. You know, I had a wrestling match with God one time that I recall back when I was in seminary. My wife and I traveled 1,500 miles. Joy was seven and a half months pregnant. God said go just like he said to Abraham. And I said to my wife, God's telling us we got to go. She said, you know I'm seven and a half months pregnant. I said, but when the Lord says go, we got to go. She goes, okay. And the obedient woman of God that she was and continues to be and the faith that she had to believe that we had to go to seminary because God called me to it, we get down there. And in, and in less than two years, our money's dried out. I get hit from the office that says, if you don't have this X amount of money, you can't go into the next semester. Well, guess what? I opened the door of my office that was a bedroom, shut the door and said, oh no, Lord, you and I are going at it. I'm letting you get away with this one. Uh, 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 uh. And I started getting, giving it to God. I said, don't you dare bring me all the way down here, 1,500 miles to shut this door. Oh, no, Lord, you're not doing this. Oh, no. And I started wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. All of a sudden, I just, well, you know, pew. yes, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, Lord. And I said, Lord, we have no money. Lord, we have no money. I went to church that Sunday, and I'm talking to this guy, random guy I met. Never forget him. Talking to him, he says, what does he do for a living? He's a stockbroker. I just shared with him that, hey, pray for us. His name was Tim. Pray for us. Um, I really don't know if I'm going to be here as of, De- of December, January, and we may have to pack up and go because God's got to come through. He goes, okay, what is it? And he asked me, and I told him how much. I said, just pray for us. Didn't even think about it. Just shared a prayer request, moved on. Three or Six weeks later, it's around Christmas time, they said, Bruno, you need to come and see us about the money. Went into the office. And the guy said, Bruno, you have a credit on your account. I said, hey, I paid last month. I got up. I was like, Rocky, hey, yo, I got that. I already paid that. And the guy goes, no, 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 Bruno, no, 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 no. You got a credit on your account. I said, what? What do you mean a credit? He's like, someone paid off your next semester. I sat there and I said, who paid off my, can I find out who paid off my next semester? Tears going down my eyes. He said, sure. I look at the name, Tim. I looked at it, I looked down, I said, oh my goodness. It was the guy I spoke to that Sunday. Didn't even know he would do it. Went back to him, I said, what happened? He goes, Bruno, when you were sharing your story, all I heard was God said, pay it off, pay it off, pay it off. I sat there in amazement because I didn't know we were going to make it to the next semester. And that was only my third semester. I still had four or five more to go. But I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled and God was not intimidated by my wrestling. I saw an incredible blessing of God that says, I will meet your needs. I have dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like that. But it was amazing because I really thought, now God's going to let us go. He brought me down here to discipline me. He brought me down here to chasten me. No, God doesn't come to chasten us or belittle us or put us down. He has a purpose. Because what he did with that little wrestling thing is that he took it and he made me stronger. See, God breaks us to make us stronger. See, the word strike 
in that passage there in 32, when he said he struck him, chapter 32, and he said that, that word means injured, touched, struck, devastating blow. God gives us a devastating blow sometimes to cause us not to be on our, 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 counting on self or being self-sufficient, but God gives us a devastating blow so that we can depend on him. And he struck Jacob, not because he wanted to belittle him or hurt him, to make him stronger, though. That's what he did it for. And so we understand that God's blessing ultimately comes and it's found in cultivating a relationship with him. See, God desires to do a few things. Let's look back at verse... 26, when he said, let me go for the, day has bro- has, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, Jacob was striving and contending with God. He realized that he needed God's blessing. And he didn't know what that blessing was, but he felt, he felt like the blessing was ultimately for just being rescued from his brother. But it was a deeper thing because God was doing something differently. And when God began to do something differently, we look at verse 27, it says this. And he said to him, what is your name? And then Jacob said, and he said to Jacob, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. See, Jacob is deceiver. Israel is God fighter. And so he changed his name, but he's also changing his character. You see, the, the blessing that is found in a culti- cultivating a relationship with him is a changed character. God wants to change our character. But, but, change is difficult. Change is that people are setting their ways. Most avoid changes like the plague. A common phrase often mentioned by most people is, what did I do wrong? I don't need to give in. I don't need to change. The other person needs to. But see, the Lord is El Shaddai, El Elyon, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh. And as awesome and powerful as God is, even sometimes God sees it as a battle to change a person. Because we're so stubborn in our ways, doing it the way we've always done it, we're not willing to say, God, change me. But God wants to change our character as he did with Jacob to bless him. And God wants to change you and I and our character to conform us to the image of Christ so he can bless us. See, that time of that wrestling and that bouting that I was going through, what I failed to tell you was that it wasn't just about the money and the situation. It was because God was changing my character. God was changing the inside of me because I became self-sufficient. And I became more prideful about my things. See, one thing, when you're going through seminary, you think you're something when you gain information. (laughs) But you find out is that Dr. Tony Evans said, the doctor before my name just tells me how much I don't know. And so after you get out of seminary, you realize you really don't know much at all. And that's the kind of experience I had because when I first went and I thought I was Mr. Know-it-all and I left out and I said, Man, I just don't know nothing at all. Because you realize that the plethora of information that you gain and gain and gain, and Dr. Rick can understand on this, when, you're, when you study and you study and you study, you think, wow, there's a lot of things I don't know. But when you don't think you know it, it's like, wow. This little information, I know it all. All of a sudden it's like, no, 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 Bruno, there's more information. And that's what happens. And God wants to change our character. Also, there's a change to life in order. 
because what he did was he changed him to Israel. And Israel now, the people of God in the Old Testament, became a God-fighting people, blessed of God. And that's important because, see, when God, when we cultivate that relationship through prayer and we wrestle through prayer, God's saying, I want to change your character. I want to change your life. Why? Because you and I are the billboard for the lost. We're a billboard for the lost. When God changes our lives, then we can make a difference for the kingdom. But if you and I get stuck in our ways and we don't want to change and we don't want our character to change, we want to be set in our ways, then what's going to blink and bling and say, yo, look at me, I'm a changed life. See, you and I are part of this church. This is God's church. These are his people. And he wants us to reach a lost world. But if, he, if you and I don't have a change in us, what are they going to see that's different in you or me? They need to see Christ in us. But God has to change us. And sometimes it has to happen in the wrestling. But it's okay. Because when you're wrestling, when you're struggling, when you're fearful, when you worry, when you're consumed with insecurity, when you're consumed with inadequacy, when you don't think you're not good enough, God's saying, that's okay because that's when I come to work. I love you and I want to bless you and I want you to represent the name of Christ. But I got to change you. And that's what God does. He does. And you know what he does? He changes our perspective. Look at verse 29. This is so key. In verse 29, because he says this, he goes on, he, goes, he says, then Jacob asked him, he says, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob, verse 30, called the name of the place Penel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. His perspective has changed. The word Penel means face to face with God. We know Moses was face to face with God. We know that he was on the mountain and Shekinah glory, and he, he, re, he reflected the Shekinah glory when he went down the mountain. We know that in Numbers 12 it says, with others I don't speak face to face, face but with Moses I do. And we know too that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, it says this, see what sort of love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and indeed we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is we revealed, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. In the presence of God and the fullness thereof and the glorification, we will see God in his fullness. But today, we can still see him today through prayer, through his word. We see his presence in our lives. And God is saying, I want to change your perspective of me. But before your perspective can be changed, I've got to change you. And so if we know the problem lies in us, and we look at ourselves, and we got to admit that it's in us, then all of a sudden we go before God, and he changes our character, he changes our life, he changes our perspective, then we know we can rely on the unchanged God. It's important for us to grasp because here's the thing. Jacob was a deceiver, became Israel. God said, even though you're a deceiver and you received the blessing of deception, or, or, or received that blessing through deception, what's happened is I'm still going to bless you. 
Why? Because he's an unchanging God who loves you and I. He wants to bless us. And we have to grasp that because we'll never truly grasp it. I really believe this. We'll never fully understand why we're even here unless we're willing to admit we need to wrestle with God in prayer. See, if you're wrestling with God today, if you're challenged with what it means to wrestle with God, it's okay. You might feel as though he has abandoned you, he doesn't care about you, he's not interested in you, because every time you go to prayer, you're like, it just doesn't make sense, Lord. Every time I go to prayer, I see my inadequacies, I see my fears, I see my worries, and I just think, God, where are you? But God's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here in the midst of your fears and your worries. I'm right here in the midst of your insecurities. I'm right here. I haven't left you. The enemy will tell you I left, but I haven't left you. I love you. I want to bless you. All you have to do, child, is admit them to me. But it's hard. It's hard to admit we fail. It's hard to admit we've made mistakes. It's challenging. But when we do, God meets us at a place where we're blessed. And we begin to see who he is, the changed perspective of the unchanged God. Our lives are changed. Our characters are changed. So I want to encourage you today, as God is moving on us, may I pray that he would move on us in a way that we can really be richly blessed. So I want to encourage you right now, as, as we enter into a time of reflecting on the communion, the body and the in the blood of Christ, I, I want to pray that God would begin to do that work as an introspective work in us. So I want to encourage you right now to just take this moment to pray, to ask God to do that work in you, to challenge you, and to help you to see what that means. Let's pray. If you bow your heads with me. Father, I have wrestled all week with this message. I've wrestled with it because, Lord, I wanted to make sure that I understood what it meant to wrestle with you. I know the problem lies in me. I know that, Lord, you want to work on me. And I know that when I admit that, I'm blessed because then I know your blessings will come free-flowing. But so many of us, Lord, we struggle with that. We struggle with change. We struggle with the fact that change has to occur and we're afraid to face the change because that means something has to change in us. And I pray, Lord, as each one of us, as we come before you and know that we have our fears, our worries, our inadequacies, our insecurities, our reputation to hold up, God, I pray that you would encourage us to recognize that you're trying to challenge us to go to that next level. And that next level is trusting you. So God, please help us, we pray. Help us to understand what that means. Challenge us to come to understand what that really means in our hearts. Get us to that place, Lord, where we can be changed in our inward so that, Lord, the outward would be taken care of. Lord, I pray for us that as we reflect on the body and the blood of Christ, May you help us to understand what that really means. And may we confess our sin before you, confess our wrongdoing, confess that we too can be deceptive at times. Confess, Lord, that we have a critical spirit or a complaining heart. 
confess, Lord God, that we desperately need your love to move in us so that we could come clean with you. God, I pray that this would be the moment for us during our communion time. So move in our hearts today, we pray, so that our hearts would be challenged and changed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.